Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. You spoke a bit about Iran today and your discussions, and I'm wondering if you could tell us what you think Iran needs to do to reduce some of the tensions. And you've met with um, the leaders of North Korea and Russia. Are you prepared also, are you willing to meet with President Rouhani and under what conditions? And have there been any preliminary discussions about something like that? With anybody, I believe in meeting. Uh, the Prime Minister said it better than anybody can say it. Speaking to other people, especially when you're talking about potentials of war and death and famine and lots of other things, you meet. There's nothing wrong with meeting. We met, as you know, with Chairman Kim, and it, uh, you haven't had a missile fired off in nine months. We got our prisoners back. So many things have happened so positive. But uh, meeting with people, I had a great meeting, in my opinion. Of course, the fake news didn't cover it that way. But I had a great meeting with President Putin of Russia. I think it was a great meeting in terms of the future, in terms of safety and economic development and protecting Israel and protecting everybody. I thought it was a great meeting. Wow. So I, I totally welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being here today. Hour two, Stacey on the right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Uh, it, fascinating to hear the president say he'll meet with anybody. So he's not ruling it out. In other words, it's always worth it to take the meeting. Remember when I said that? <laughs> uh, the, I'm, I'm glad to see we're of the unimind on this issue. It doesn't hurt him to meet. It doesn't hurt to sit down and hear what they have to say. Um, they're pretty ticked off. They've actually sued the president and some world court, um, international court. I'm not sure exactly what kind of court it is. Um, they're doing that because they want to stop the sanctions. And so they know they can't do it here in this country because the sanctions are coming from Congress and the president of the United States. So they're planning on doing um, this international court to sue the president and stop him from uh, implementing these sanctions. I don't know exactly how that would be uh, binding. Like, how can an international court bind the United States of America from implementing sanctions? Like, how would they do that? Yeah. I, I don't see that happening. I'm, they, they, I guess they can always say that they, they want us to stop the sanctions or that they don't agree with the sanctions, but what other thing would they do? What, what, what can they make us do? I'm just wondering. Uh, so he had a little bit more to say about the possibility of meeting with Iran, and he tied a lot of other news of the day type issues into the conversation, on, you know, his answer to the reporter on that question. It's number three. Great meeting with NATO. I just explained NATO. Hundreds of billions of dollars more money will be paid into NATO, the coffers of NATO, and much already has. So I believe in meeting. I would certainly meet with Iran if they wanted to meet. I don't know that they're ready yet. They're having a hard time right now. But I ended the Iran deal. It was a ridiculous deal. I do believe that they will probably end up wanting to meet, and I'm ready to meet anytime they want to. And I don't do that from strength or from weakness. I think it's an appropriate thing to do. If we could uh, work something out that's meaningful, not the waste of paper that the other deal was, I would certainly be willing to meet. Do you have preconditions for that meeting? No preconditions, no. They want to meet, I'll meet. 
anytime they want. Anytime they want. It's good for the country, good for them, good for us, and good for the world. No precondition. So I think that's uh, great on his part to say that publicly. Now, Rouhani has also publicly said he's a leader of, of Iran. He's not going to meet. He said, I'm, I'm not meeting. I'm not going to meet with him. Um, they, I think they're hoping for some kind of, uh, you know, help from this UN um, or this international world uh, court. They're hoping that that court will be able to help them. Um, I, I just think it's interesting that in the face of the sanctions that we've put on and in the face of the devastation to their currency, you know, it's news today that their currency has fallen again and just everything that's happening, it's almost baffling that they just will not simply give up on having a nuclear weapon. None of us other countries around these parts, around any parts, are interested in taking over Iran. There's just no reason for us to want to. So why are they so bent on having a nuclear weapon? Because they can use that to to terrorize the United States. So why would we want to work with them on helping to bring that about? That's what was so fascinating about Donald Trump's accusations against Barack Obama for his kowtowing to world leaders that Obama never really answered the criticism. He insulted Donald Trump, uh, you know, Hey, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. He said a lot of things that were unprovable about our international relations, but he never answered why he was so soft on Iran. What, what was his, thought process surrounding that. He never did say. So it's it's interesting. I want to pivot over to a story that's over at the Daily Caller. And this is an example of how, and we talked about this a little bit in the first segment, this is an example of how the Democrats are selling one thing, but what you're actually getting is nothing like what you've been sold. You've been told that illegal immigrants, for the most part, are law-abiding citizens and that there's nothing to worry about. The fact that they're here is just not a big deal and that there are only 11 million of them. There have been 11 million of them in 2018, 2017, 2016, 2015, 2014, 2013, going all the way back to 2004 when that number first surfaced. So if Americans thought there were 30 million illegal immigrants here, there'd be a different conversation. Congressional districts would be shifting Americans, even on the left, would have a little something to say. But as long as they can continue to force feed you this 11 million number, then because, you know, think about it. If there are more illegal aliens in this country than there are black people, don't you think that would be a concern? Don't you think black people would have a problem with that? Don't you think a lot of people would have a problem with that? Even legal immigrants are against the wholesale acceptance of people who are here illegally. Because the ones who came here legally had to work so hard to get in, they don't want to see it wasted. They don't want to see it cheapened and made into something that, uh, I guess you just didn't really need to go through all that. You could have just come here illegally. So you've got the Portland police refusing to help ICE agents who called 911. I know you're probably thinking I didn't just say that, but that's what it says here. Portland, Oregon police refused to respond to two 911 emergency calls from ICE employees inside their officers where violent protesters held week-long demonstrations. So there's this union called National Immigration and Customs Enforcement Council that represents ICE employees 
They wrote a cease and desist letter to Mayor Ted Wheeler asking him to ensure the police enforce the law equally and protect innocent people. Your current policy forbidding Portland law enforcement agencies from assisting employees of ICE who request law enforcement assistance while at or away from work is a violation of the United States Constitution's Equal Protection Clause. Demonstrators, some affiliated with the domestic terrorist organization Antifa, set up a tent city outside the ICE offices. After setting up the camp, they became violent and incited violence several times. Every person in law enforcement knows there are few things as dangerous or as unpredictable than an angry mob. Chris Crane, president of the National Union, W Week, reported on Monday. No one could have responded quickly enough to protect our employees who were trapped inside this building. All of this because the mayor of Portland has a beef with the president of the United States. This lawlessness is coming to you courtesy of the Democrats. The activists were able to get the government to shut down the Portland ICE offices June 20th, but the employees were able to return to work on July the 3rd. The ICE Occupy ICE camp was officially shut down July 25th after a month of demonstrations. They infected the area so much, the mayor called it a biohazard. Do you remember the Occupy Wall Street tents where people were getting raped and there was fecal matter and there was, it was just like a third world country and that's where these protesters were living? Now, the activists are actually there to protest Donald Trump's enforcement of current immigration laws, but these are the same laws that were in place when Barack Obama was the president and they didn't protest then. Portland police did not respond to a request for comment from the Daily Caller News Foundation. Of course they didn't. I mean, I just cannot. I can't believe that. I can't believe that they would allow people to be harmed in order to facilitate this illegal alien sanctuary city policy. People who are at work, who they have to be there because they work there because they want to earn a living so they can make their mortgage payments and their car payments and whatnot. And this is the, they call 911, they can't get any help. Somebody should set up a GoFundMe to get them some private security. Or Congress could vote to give ICE offices private security. You know how much I hate expanding government. But if they're going to operate in places that are sanctuary cities, maybe they need some private muscle to protect them from these. I mean, this is just disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. You want to weigh in on this? I'll let you call in. Call in. Tell me what you think about it. 866-963-2037. It's 866-963-2037. Also, as we're going to this segment, I want to also make the announcement. Of course, we've been talking about a little bit here on the show. Next week, we are going to be picked up the first hour of the program on American Family Radio. So that starts on Monday. So it's an expansion of the show. It's an honor and a privilege for me, and I'm so excited about it. And we are really pumped up about having the first hour on there as well. We'll still be here. I've had some people comment. Nothing really changes. If you listen on YouTube or if you watch the live streams on Periscope or, or on Facebook, you're not missing anything. Nothing changes. Everything will be the same. There'll just be more um, stations on which the show is broadcast. 
live for the first hour. So that's really exciting. Um, and I'm, I'm pumped up about it. It's going to be great. And we have some wonderful guests planned for next week. And so you're going to get a chance to uh, just have more of the same, more of the same program um, with awesome guests and commentary and your calls uh, all coming at you right here from 2 to 4 p.m., 2 to 3 p.m. over at AFR. It'll be fun. Um, so after we get back from this break, we're going to be talking to Brittany Hughes. She works over at MRC TV, Media Research Center Television. And we're going to be talking about the Ocasio-Cortez interview that happened at The Daily Show on Trevor Noah's show. You know, he's not an American, by the way. He's from South Africa. And he's in this country to make jokes and poke fun at fully half of uh, the American populace, the half of us who believe in conservatism and individual liberty and the Bible and God and, you know, religious freedom. Um, and so she went on this program and she made some really outrageous claims about the American workforce. So Brittany Hughes is going to come on and talk to us about that. And we're going to use statistics from the U.S. Census Bureau and, um, yeah, information that is actually accurate to talk about Ocasio-Cortez's claims that she made while she was on the show. So we'll be doing that right after the break. Um, so... We mentioned a little bit ago about the president saying that he was willing to shut the government down to get the border enforcement. And I just can't stress it enough. And you guys know, I, I know for some people who, you know, you don't watch as much television, it is easier to get through a book. But if you can't see yourself sitting down and slogging through 350, 400 pages, doing an audible uh, read, which means the book is read to you by the author, it's usually the author who reads it. It means you can go about your business and do everything you need to do during the day with that playing while you're while you're working. And I have found it is the way that I can kind of keep up with my reading, um, not to the same level that I was doing before I had a radio show, but definitely uh, it's I'm at least still working on and completing books. You got to get Adiosum America by Ann Coulter. I just can't stress to you enough how much information she has in there that if you're an American, you need to know this information. Not a white American, black American, none of that. I'm talking about if you are an American citizen, you need to hear this information that she has in this book. She's a fantastic author, and I hope one day to interview her on the program. But I definitely would say out of all of her books, and I've read a few, this is the one. And, uh, and every book is good that she has, but this is the one that you have to listen to. Um, so we'll get into a little bit more of that, but specifically, we're going to be talking to Brittany Hughes right after this. Stay there. Here's some great news. If you missed the deadline to sign up for a healthcare plan, or more importantly, if you signed up for a plan that you're just not happy with, you still have a choice. It's called MediShare. MediShare is a Christian healthcare sharing program. It's been around for 25 years. They have hundreds of thousands of members all across the country. And get this, over the years, MediShare members have shared more than $2.5 billion of each other's medical bills. Best of all, you could save a lot of money with MediShare. The typical savings for a family is about 500 bucks a month. Your savings may be less or more, but think about what you could do with that extra money every month. So if you think you're stuck with a high-cost health plan that doesn't have much to offer, Think again. You can join MediShare anytime, so call them today and check it out. Here's the number to find out more. There's no pressure. They're super easy to talk to. Just hit star star 345. That's star star 345. Star star 345. 
This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Jenna Goldberg talks about the miracle in his book, The Suicide of the West. The major focus of his book is on tribalism and populism, but he begins with a description and an explanation of the remarkable change in Western societies in the last few centuries. He says the miracle is about more than economics, but economics is the best way to tell the story of humanity's quantum leap out of its natural environment of poverty. People used to live on the equivalent of a dollar or more a day. By the 18th century, human prosperity exploded in Europe and North America, and now many people in so many countries have been lifted out of poverty. A major reason for this dramatic change had to do with the change in the way human beings thought about the world and their place in it. Sure, there was trade and science and technology, but those things existed before the miracle. He argues that ideas brought about this change. So what were those ideas? Well, here are three. That the individual is sovereign that our rights come from God, not government, and that the fruits of our labor belong to us. These are Christian ideas, but Jonah Goldberg doesn't give credit to Christianity. In fact, he begins his book with this statement, there is no God in this book. Instead, he assumes humans are merely an evolutionary product and eventually discovered the ideas that ushered in the miracle. He does give credit to John Locke. That would be the man who referred to the Bible over a thousand times in his first treatise on government and invoked the Bible more than 300 times in his second treatise. Jonah Goldberg rightly reminds us that we are the beneficiaries of a change in the thinking that affected our political institutions and economic systems that brought about both liberty and prosperity. But I also think that Christianity deserves some credit for the miracle. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for being with us today. Guess what? First time guest on the show, but huge fan over here. And I'm speaking from the hostess chair. I am a huge fan of Brittany Hughes over at MRC TV. And so it's a pleasure to have her on the program. Um, Brittany, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. That's very humbling. I appreciate that. Well, I got to say, sometimes I watch your videos and I'm like, that's right. That's exactly. Yes, that's what I'm saying. That's what I've been yelling about. Because when you're watching the TV, you, you notice a few things. And then what you guys do is you don't just notice it once or twice. You find every instance. <laughs> you put it into percentages and then you kill us with it, with the, with the facts and details. Because you kind of feel like, haven't I been hearing them talk about the same story for two or three days? Haven't they been telling the same lie for a week now? Isn't there any other news story for you to cover? And then your video will come out or something from the blog over there. And you're like, yes, I knew it. This is all they're talking about. So, yeah, thank you. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. We actually, uh, over at the Media Research Center, we try very, very hard to point out the things the media won't tell you. Um, And you're exactly right. I mean, they just go over and over and over again with the same exact stories. You would think there'd be more happening in the world, or at least they could bring on a different perspective or something, but they don't. Um, you know, and I think from, from my point of view, as far as doing reality check, my, uh, my web series online, I mean, at some point I have to say something or I'll just explode. And it's just <laughs> it's easier to just get it out there. But I, I, hope that, I hope that the videos are pretty informative and that they at least tell you something you didn't already know. So. Exactly. And, and I, I do think that they do a great job of bringing the whole picture for people to kind of inform themselves. And I, I encourage you guys go over to mrctv.org. Um, and watch everything they've got over there. Check out the site. 
it's fantastic. I love going there and getting just, it's like a tune up. You're like thinking, am I losing my mind? Or I go to your website. I'm like, nope, not losing my mind. Definitely not losing my mind. So, um, and one of those cases is something that you guys are covering right now. And it has to do with democratic socialist extraordinaire and purveyor of non-facts, uh, you know, 24 hours a day. Um, and we've got this chick, Ocasio-Cortez. She's running for Congress. She's going to win because no Republican can win her district. And she's going to be there in Congress. And she's under the impression that there are 200 million workers in America, like actual employees, 200 million of them. Yeah. Speaking of losing your mind, um, I think what she's <laughs> lost is a grasp on basic economics, which is interesting because she supposedly has a degree in economics. Um, and so here's she made a whole bunch of these really kind of ridiculous claims on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, who, of course, is about as left wing as you can get and who is not going to challenge her on any of her erroneous claims, which I think is one of the biggest travesties, travesties here, is when you have these, these left-wingers who go on, uh, you know, whether it's a Comedy Central show or a news show, and they spew just blatant misinformation, no one ever seeks to correct them or, you know, very rarely steps in and says, are you sure that's true? And case in point, one of the things that she said during this interview, which was, riddled with so many factual errors that we don't have time to get into all of them right now, was the claim that 200 million Americans, which she claimed is 40% of the country, make less than $20,000 a year. So there are several things wrong with this claim. First of all, 200 million Americans is not 40% of the country. That would imply that there are 500 million Americans in the country, and there's not. There's about 330 to 340 million, actually. But also, what was interesting is when she claims that 200 million Americans make less than $20,000 a year, according to government data in the Census Bureau, there's only about 157 million Americans in the workforce as of June. So I don't know where she came up with this magical, imaginary 43 million other people who supposedly make less. I mean, the, the numbers here are so staggeringly off, you can't even really blame it on a mis, you know, misspeaking or, you know, maybe she was off by a little bit or something. She's claiming that 200 million Americans, which is more than the actual workforce, make less than $20,000 a year. That's simply not true. Um, but again, you know, Trevor Noah is never going to correct her on that, never going to come back at her on that. You're going to have people who aren't going to do their research, who are actually going to believe it and what's worse, vote on it. And, and so Brittany, just, I mean, let's, let's work through this step by step. Now I, I, my listeners are amazing people, very intelligent and really able to analyze information, but let's just kind of talk amongst ourselves, if you will, about the probability of someone who thinks there are close to 500 million Americans or doesn't care how many Americans there are and just tosses out numbers wildly like this about her being able to accurately tell Americans what kind of policies, specifically those that have to be paid for by the taxpayers, we should embark upon once she gets into Congress. Like what's the likelihood of her doing that well if she can't even figure out what the accurate workforce is, workforce numbers are for Americans? Well, I think this raises really, really big questions, and not just when it comes to this one individual candidate, but also just when it comes to um, people on the left who spew blatant misinformation. Look, I mean, Bernie Sanders was doing it long before this young lady showed up and won her primary. Um, and it's, it's 
bizarre to the point of we're no longer debating ideas. We're no longer debating, here are the facts, here's what I think that we should do with them, versus here's what you think we should do with them. We're talking about basic facts like how many people are physically in the country, um, you know, how many dollars and cents we have to do all the things that you're saying we want. I mean, this again, this Daily Show interview, and people can go back and watch it for themselves, it was riddled with so many factual errors that it's impossible to go through and call them all out right now. But she has a fundamental misunderstanding of how the budget works. She has a fundamental misunderstanding of how much um, tax revenue we can generate and where we can get it from. Um, you know, there seems to be this misunderstanding among Democratic Socialists that, oh, well, if we just tax all the billionaires a whole bunch more, that'll pay for all of our hopes and dreams that we want out there uh, and make everybody feel better. It has been proven time and time again that you could tax the upper, the top 1%, 100% of their income, and it would not cover something like Bernie Sanders' proposal for Medicare for all. It wouldn't even touch it. But again, when you can go on a network show and just view this and nobody calls you on it, nobody fact-checks you on it, and everybody just runs with it, people will vote according to what you told them, not according to what the actual facts are. It's a scary thing that she doesn't know her information. It's an even scarier thing that we, we do have a predominance of, of voter ignorance in this country where people will vote based on misinformation. Again, vote Republican, vote Democrat, I don't really care, but at least make sure your information is correct and that you know what you're voting for and that it's true. And so, I'm again... I have nothing against debating the facts, uh, having having the issues, but we're talking about Trevor Noah's show has an enormous audience, and I, I've watched it before. He does have this knack for cracking these, you know, wise little jokes. They're not based in facts, and and he really doesn't understand the constitution of this country. He's he's ignorant of the American ethos, the kind of personality that Americans have that is so different from every other country. He has our way of telling jokes down and of, of comedic humor and sarcasm. He's got that down, but he doesn't understand what Americans are like. He does have a segment down pat, like the, the hardcore leftist liberal Hollywood types, elites, people who, you know, they kind of believe that they know best for everyone. He's got that down, but he has no idea what it's like to be here in Missouri, for instance, or anywhere that's not on the coast where liberals abound. And so it's interesting because his show is so huge and he has such an enormous reach, but the kind of misinformation that they're peddling, I mean, it should almost be a crime and I'm all about free speech, but it should be a crime for the two of them to sit up and, and quote those kinds of numbers. Because what happens, Brittany, you or I will bump into someone who says, and you believe that you're supporting a party that lets America have 200 million people working for, you know, this tiny pittance of a, amount of money per month. And if you say, well, actually, there can only be 155 million people in the workforce because that's how many people are in the workforce, according to our government, then they almost can't believe you because that is so like what you've just said has completely blown apart any path forward in a conversation because they're dealing from a place of non-facts. You're exactly right. Uh, if I had a dollar for every single conversation that I've had to have with a leftist friend of mine where I've had to debunk a myth that they just grabbed off the Internet or they heard somebody say and they just took it as gospel, um, you know, I could retire right now. 
But oh, I think what you're all what you're getting to the heart of is something that we over at the Media Research Center really, really harp on. This is why we do what we do, and we do it every single day, and that is combating this liberal narrative that you don't just see it on the Daily Show. Okay, this you're exactly right. That's incredibly dangerous because it's a Comedy Central show. I get that, but it is marketed as kind of you know a type of news, and millions and millions of people have watched this. Um, you know, but you also see it on the networks. You see it on CNN. You see it. I mean, we saw it um, several months ago when they were having David Hogg on every five minutes, and he was mm-hmm. saying all kinds of erroneous things about the NRA. And you know, nobody was coming out and saying this is incorrect. This is factually incorrect. It's not even about your opinion or what you believe. It is factually incorrect. And nobody comes out and says that. And I find it interesting that for a left-wing news media that is so against Trump and against, you know, whenever they say that he's, you know, accusing them of fake news and, you know, he doesn't agree with the facts and he doesn't actually know what he's talking about, it seems rather hypocritical when you allow guests to come on your show, spew a narrative that is blatantly false. I mean, again all the way down to how many people are in the country kind of false. And nobody says a word. You cannot, you're speaking out of both sides of your mouth. You cannot accuse the right of, you know, of fake news when you yourself are doing the exact same thing on a nightly basis. And so this is what we at the Media Research Center seek to do, is to ferret out truth from fact and tell you, okay, this is what the media is saying, but this is why this is wrong. You can make up your mind what you believe, you can, I mean, we're not here to tell you your opinion or how you, you know, what policies you think should be enacted, but here are the basic facts. You cannot dispute these. They are going to be true whether you like it or not. 200 million people do not make less than $20,000 a year in America. That is simply not true. In fact, the, let's give the information out because invariably someone in the audience has someone in their family who watches The Daily Show and this is going to come up at dinner or at, at the ball game on the weekend and you've got to have the facts to be able to refute this. You guys are reporting that according to data from the U.S. Census Bureau, only 28 million American households live on a total income of 25000 or less. 25000 or less, 28 million households. Nowhere near 200 million Americans, not even close, not even, not even 10. Well, you know, yeah, just barely a little over 10% of the false number, (laughs) which is based on 500 and some million Americans. (laughs) I mean, it's just so ludicrous. It's it's absolutely insane. And, and, you know, I want to also point out that when we're talking about households who live with that income or less, we're also talking about non-working dependents. But you get even farther away from Ms. Cortez's claim when you start saying, okay, by the way, even by generous standards, we're ha- to get even close to your number, we're having to count, you know, children, the elderly, the retired, mm-hmm. you know, parents who might live with their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, you're having to rope in a lot of people, not just those who are making $20,000 or less every year. So even when you try to help her out by lumping in some other people, you don't even get close. And not only that, but if you are living at, on 28 million, or I'm sorry, if you're living on 25,000 or less and you're a family of four, you are in the government's social safety net. The American taxpayers are already subsidizing your income. We are providing you with WIC or food stamps or both. 
um, SNAP cards, you know, you're getting housing assistance in the form of a housing voucher or some kind of check paid directly to your landlord. I mean, when, when you're in that area where you're not a single person and you earn 25000 or less, any dependents present whatsoever, all of a sudden, this isn't about what you're making. It's about you supplementing what the government is giving. And on this program, we have many times run down the list of the best states to live in. Where in Hawaii, you make over $68,000 a year if you're on welfare. If you receive and accept all of your benefits, it's sixty-eight thousand a year in Missouri. Uh, it's fifty-four thousand, uh, and this these numbers are from like three or four years ago, last reportable statistics. Uh, so, it, I mean, there even as someone who makes less than twenty-five thousand a year, once you add in the benefits that they get from our social safety net, they're not making twenty-five thousand a year. This, this is the best place on the planet to be poverty-stricken because you're suddenly not poverty-stricken if you're if you're doing it right. I mean, that's that's incredibly true. And, you know, and I, I find it interesting, another part that, that Ms. Cortez was, was kind of touting, again, completely uninterrupted and unchallenged on The Daily Show, was this idea that, well, if we can just get the billionaires to pay their fair share. You know, and she, she used Warren Buffett as an example, which, you know, just as liberal as the day is long. And he has, he has often made the claim that, well, if I, if I simply paid as much as my secretary, if I paid you know, the same percent as she does, then if, if everybody who made as much as me did that, then we would be completely in the clear and we could take care of so many more people. To people like that, I say, you know what? Maybe you don't know this. I will, I will give you the benefit of the doubt. Um, and maybe some of your listeners don't know this either. There is a donate button on the IRS website. <laughs> you are welcome to go donate your hard-earned money. If you happen to be a millionaire or a billionaire, who thinks that you are not paying enough in taxes, by all means, please go donate. You're welcome to. You can't take advantage of corporate loopholes and then complain about the corporate loopholes. If you want to pay more, the United States government would be more than happy to take your personal check. I guarantee you. Um, you know, but again, we could tax every single person who made that much 100% of their money, and it would not come close. I mean, a new study just showed that this Medicare for all thing that Bernie Sanders wants and that Ms. Cortez is sponsoring, and you know, Medicare for all would ultimately end up costing the United States government and the taxpayers $33 trillion over the next 10 years. That almost doubles the entire budget of the United States per year. Right. The whole thing. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's just amazing. But this is why you have so much work to do. This is why you'll never be out of a job, because as long as the liberals are still controlling the media, <laughs> you'll have stuff to document and debunk. And you do so fantastically well. Thank you, Brittany Hughes, MRC TV. Fantastic. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. All right. Talk again soon. We'll be back with more right after this. This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book, Uncommon Marriage. In our 30 plus years together, we've learned three things about our marriage. First, just because we have intentionally supported and encouraged each other doesn't mean we have agreed about every decision or always understood what the other was thinking. Second, our differences as husband and wife have actually made our marriage stronger and better balanced. 
And third, we know that our painful memories, which had been forgiven, have been forgotten as well, swept away by the sands of time and the gentle breath of the Lord's forgiveness. Don't forget that God will walk alongside your marriage every step of the way. He'll help you learn about a love that will last forever and how to overcome life's obstacles together. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. There was a time where um, I was in the middle of doing something, and the Lord just, just really impressed upon my heart that I needed to buy my wife some flowers. I hadn't thought about it, hadn't done it in a while. And I walk into the door of our, our little small apartment, and I have the flowers in my hand, and my wife's eyes connect with mine. Her eyes just well up with tears. And I immediately start thinking, what's wrong? What happened? What's going on? And uh, she said, Abe, <laughs> I have been wanting some flowers, but I know what our financial situation is. And I didn't want to be an additional burden on you because I know things are tight now. And man, it was just a moment where my wife and I just fall more deeply in love with the Lord and more deeply in love with one another. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekday afternoons at 5 Central on Urban Family Talk. By relying on him. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. From America's election headquarters. We're under 100 days until the midterm elections in November, and the balance of power is up for grabs. Our priorities is to make sure that we not only re-elect, but that we expand Republican majorities on Capitol Hill. Vice President Mike Pence telling Fox Business Network's Maria Bartiromo the current administration has faced an unprecedented obstruction by Democrats in Congress, citing tax cuts as an example. It's amazing to think in a week that this economy grew by more than 4 percent, uh, which was a national goal the president articulated during the campaign in the fall of 2016. And we're on track for 3 percent growth. Not one single Democrat in Congress voted for those historic tax cuts. Democrats would need a net gain of two seats to control the Senate and a net gain of 23 seats for the House. Lillian Wu, Fox News. This is Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. I think the only reason that we're moving forward with North Korea is that President Trump convinced China and North Korea he was serious about them giving up their nuclear program. And in return, they'll have security and prosperity. Having the remains returned to the United States is much appreciated by the families and the country as a whole. But we're looking for complete, irreversible, verifiable denuclearization. I fear that uh, North Korea and China are trying to run the clock out. China has pulled North Korea back because we're in a trade dispute with China. So if I were President Trump, I'd keep the pressure on. I'd be willing to walk away. And the only way you're going to get a deal that really matters is to convince China and North Korea we'll use the military option to stop their nuclear program if we have to. Wow, that's Lindsey Graham coming in hot on uh, one of the programs, talking about how he sees the next steps moving forward. And of course, this is audio that was created. He, he made these comments before the announcement that came out in the news that North Korea is back to generating and, and making, producing uh, their ICBMs, intercontinental ballistic missiles, which those missiles are able to reach the mainland of the United States. And so this is uh, definitely a defiant act on Kim Jong-un's part. 
And it calls into question the seriousness with which he approached the meeting that he already had with President Trump and whether or not he really uh, meant anything by it. And and maybe, you know, playing devil's advocate here, maybe the reason he's doing that is because he felt like, hey, I I met with him and I've returned remains to him. And now I need to show him that I'm not completely under his thumb. Or maybe this is what he planned to do all along. Or maybe he's being egged on by the Chinese. You know, we could play the maybe game all day. Those are some of the, I think, top of mind possibilities for us. But in the end, it's something that he's doing that we know. We know he's doing it. And he has to also know that, you know, we, we can lay a missile or two on him as well. Um, we do have our troops in South Korea. And we do have those war games that the president put on hold, which I've been seeing stories over at the Free Beacon about the real need for the war games. It's the practice for real war. And so our troops get a lot of training that they can't get just, you know, kind of going swanning around in their jobs. They need the real world training exercises that enable them to be very effective and functional during a wartime operation. This is the worst case scenario, obviously. We don't want to be at war. We don't want to be at war with Korea. We just, we just don't. We don't want them firing hundreds of rockets into Singapore and South Korea where we have millions of Americans living and we have also our allies there. We don't want to see any of, of our allies harmed in any way. But we are also dealing with a very real possibility that this man will not only create these intercontinental ballistic missiles and do all of these things, but that he's never going to stop doing it. So as um, you just heard there, Lindsey Graham is saying that Trump should tell the World Trade Organization to enforce the trade rules on China or will quit the WTO. Now, interesting that he would say that. He also says we need a deadline on denuclearization from North Korea because without the deadline, there's no actionable point at which we can do anything. And that's number five. Do you think that the North believes that now or has it been emboldened by, by new strength coming from China? I think China is undercutting uh, President Trump when it comes to North Korea. Mm -hmm. But I think North Korea believes that President Trump will not allow them to develop a capability to hit the American homeland with a nuclear weapon. He has set uh, his policy in stone, complete, verifiable, irreversible denuclearization. Iran is watching. Russia is watching. The only way we will get there is to put a deadline on this. President Trump said he wanted this to happen in his first term. I see the timeline slipping. That worries me. But the only way we're, we've made any progress with North Korea is because Trump has been strong in the eyes of North Korea and China, and you have to stay strong. I don't want a war yeah. with North Korea, but if there's going to be one, it's going to be in China's backyard, not America's backyard, and I hope China understands that. Mm. So it would be over their way, not over our way. Now, their answer might be, well, it'll be over your way because we'll send some missiles over your way, but that's mutually assured destruction. And, I mean, come on. We just, we need better... We need better answers on this, and the only way to do that is for the president to kind of clearly outline exactly what he will and won't put up with. But that puts him in the territory that Barack Obama so famously entered into without the, the wherewithal to follow through, and that's the red line. Well, we, that's our red line in Syria, the use of chemical weapons. And then Assad was like, I'll see your chemical weapons, and I'll, I'll raise you even more chemical weapons used on my own people because I don't think these people are loyal to me. Now we've got dead women and children. Now what you going to do? And Obama did nothing. And he was like, I'll see you. You're nothing. Hold my beer. I'm going to put something else out there. And he killed more people. So it's 
it is a dangerous game to play to actually put out there what it is that you will or won't accept. Uh, but hopefully the president has other plans, ha- other other means of making something happen. And uh, we have to wait and see what happens with that. We have, we don't have any other option as far as, as what can we do. Um, so I mentioned that there's this... Um, there's there was a, a bit of information on um, what the president plans to do as far as um, going forward on the the foreign policy front, and there's also a bit of information about what the federal government is doing with our money. Now, this is something that comes up a lot. And the government waste pig report just came out, and we're going to be going over that. I'm saving that for a little bit later in the week. But one of the things that was exposed is that the feds have been spending $402,236 comparing gender variant youth with cisgendered youth. Now, you might be thinking, why would they do that? Why do we care? Well, we don't care. But this is a way for someone who applied for a grant to get money and they're able to get that money and use it on research. And when I say use it on research, the money doesn't all go towards the research facility, the actual data gathering, all that. It goes to hiring people and paying salaries for the individual researcher and whoever had the idea. And this is one way that people work the government over. So you've got what they call gender variant individuals who are experiencing an unprecedented moment in the spotlight of American culture. Why? Because Liberals say that you need to pay attention to them. That's why. So the National Institutes of Health is spending over $400,000 for a study that compares gender variant kids with straight cisgender kids and cisgender, lesbian, gay, and bisexual kids. Now, the first thing we need to know here is that this is child abuse, the way they keep labeling these kids and normalizing what is... because. Have you, have you, if you have kids, you know, kids will come up to you and say the, just the craziest things. They'll just say something and you're like, Ooh, what made you say that? What happens in normal households is a normal parent will say, that's just not the way things work. And then you explain to the child how things actually work. And then the child is corrected and they go on about their business. Now the idea may persist. They may come back and say, but I dreamed I was a boy, a little girl. Or a little girl might say, but I want to be a boy. And at that point, a parent can say with authority, because you are their parent, you are shepherding them. The child doesn't actually belong to you. God gives us our children. We raise them and have them in our lives for a time. And then they go on into adulthood where these are people that in the end, we are all God's creation. He tells us that we are to train up a child in the way that they should go and we are to meditate on his word morning, noon, and night, and we're to keep our children with us during those times so that they can see us doing that and learn how to do it too. The chief way to become wise and also to prevent these kinds of weird, strange, whacked out thoughts is by staying in the word of God, by knowing what is approved, what is in God's word, and then you move forward in that. So you've got a kid who says, I want to be a boy. I don't really like being a girl. Well, okay, so what you mean is you don't like dresses and skirts and you don't like Barbie dolls. What do you like? You talk about what the child likes. And then 
you find a way forward for the child to do things that they like to do and participate in activities that they like, maybe playing with Legos, playing with trucks. Maybe they want to be able to have the hammer and, you know, the little Home Depot set that comes with a hammer and a fake drill, but the drill makes noise and they want that set. They don't want the little cooking set, the little, the little kitchen, the, the plastic set. So what's wrong with that? How many women carpenters out there? As a percentage, probably nowhere near how many men there are, but it's nothing wrong with a woman working in carpentry or, or other male-dominated fields. It's not about you changing what your child likes. It's about you letting them know that God created you female. You're a woman. You're a young woman. You're a girl. You are a gendered girl. And when you operate within what God has created, you will be blessed. So instead of going against what God has created, you can do things that you enjoy within the confounds of yourself. So you don't have to not want to be a girl. You can still do things that you enjoy, but in within the bounds of what God has created. What's so funny about all of this is that when kids go into therapy and they're with a therapist who wants to help them work through the gender dysphoria so that they can live a normal life and not mutilate themselves, what they find time after time after time, these therapists find that there was an incident and it's not the parent's fault per se that the parents are doing something, but the parent has prioritized something that their son is doing and the daughter wants that same type of recognition and acceptance from the parents. And so she says, well, I have to be a boy to get that. And in their mind, this is a child. They want to now be a boy because of that. When they get back with the child, they, they work their way back and the child begins to share and talk about what's going on. They find that moment and they'll say, oh, well, your parents love you and it, you don't have to be a boy for them to love you. They love you the same that they that in the same way that they love your brother and they start working through that and getting the child to accept that knowledge and then before you know it you've got a fully functioning little girl who's not mentally ill who's moving forward and the son is also moving forward and the parents are moving forward and no one had to use a special bathroom or have their body pumped with hormones or blame America blame white men there's none of that going on just that little bit that I shared there, that therapists are able to help kids work through this, certain states are now saying, you can't help kids work through this. You just accept whatever they say. Well, what if your kid said, the only place I want to sleep at night is in the middle of the highway? Would you say, hmm, we need to change the highway system so that you can sleep in the middle of the highway? Or would you say, that's ludicrous. You're sleeping inside this house with the doors locked in your own room in the bed. You may sleep in bed with us occasionally, but you are going to sleep inside the house. It's similar to that, where if your child says something outlandish and they want to go do something that is absolutely ludicrous, we don't say as parents, oh, wow, the bed is wherever you place it, even if that's on a highway. The way people are saying gender is what's between your ears, not what's between your legs. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Of course, it's what's between your legs. It's, what, it's, it's what's in your DNA, more specifically. Your gender is predetermined. It's in your DNA and no amount of mutilation, hormonal therapy changes the genetic makeup. Caitlyn Jenner, still at the DNA level, a man, also still a man because all the parts are still there. And still a man, even if the parts weren't there. Mutilating the body doesn't change that. But this is what we've got going on. So 
Why would they have this study? Why would they spend 400000 on it? Because they're looking for something. If they say a study by the National Institutes of Health found that a University of Minnesota co-partnered study with the National Institutes of Health gives it validity because it's a government agency partnering with a university, found that when they surveyed 1,200 adolescents who identify as transgender, blah, and they can fill in the blank. That's why they're doing it. So the, the important thing for us is, it, what's so funny about this is, it's going on. We have Donald Trump as the president. Everybody in the media is saying that any second now he's going to round up all of the homosexual people, all the transgender people. He's going to round them up and ship them out of America right after he gets done deporting all the blacks and all Hispanics and everything else. When the reality is this kind of madness is going on right under the Trump administration's purview. So there is this is an agenda that it doesn't just have feet or hands or legs. This agenda is a fully functioning train that is steamrolling through regardless of who is in power. These people want to find validation for this deviation from normal use of the human body and they're using it to abuse children. And they're going to keep doing it no matter who the president is. We have to have someone in office, which I believe Donald Trump is, is, is the best one for that. You know, at this point, we've, we've got someone good in there. But we have to have our Congress people saying this is not something we want to spend money on. Who controls the purse? There should be some kind of an audit that's being done where this kind of ridiculousness can't be done under the purview of taxpayer-funded research. It's ridiculous. It's wrong. And it's a waste of our money. But the purpose of it is that they want to find a way to blame somebody else for the fact that these transgender kids face higher levels of victimization, suicide, substance abuse, risky sexual behaviors compared to regular people, people who aren't mentally ill. Well, that's not a shock. All right, that's the show for today. We'll be back with more. Find me at stacyontheright.com. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association.